Respect. Sevome. Respeto. Spoštujmo. Respect words. Ithiki dimosiografia ja tina dimetopisi tis ritorikis tunisus. Etično novinarstvo proti sovražnemu govoru. Il potere delle parole. Respect for worten, respect for menschen gegen hassreden. Atisztelet hangján szólunk. Riportok, interjúk, tudósítások a gyűlöletbeszéd ellen. Mi becsüljük a másikat. Respect. La onda local de Andalucía contra los discursos de odio. Más or oco? Eristorokta etikul, ikuena kainta fuha. Ethical journalism against hate speech. Respect words. Respect words. Respect words. Respect words. Hello and welcome to this, the fifth series, Respect Words, a series in which we look at the various aspects of hate speech from every angle. My name is Liam Nolan. On today's show, my colleague Sally Galliana talks to Eli Kasimba. But first, Sally talks to Shenadu Analejem from Metro Erin. My name is Shenadu uh, Onyejelem. I am the head of Metro Erin, which is a multicultural newspaper in Ireland. Okay, Chinadu, tell us a little bit about the history of Metro Air and how it, the, the idea came about. Well, uh, basically, Metro Air started in the year 2000. Specifically, it was launched on the 16th of April 2000. It came about following uh, the lack of um, work for myself and, and colleagues as well as um, the inability of uh, Irish media, uh, existing Irish media and uh, national media, to, you know, highlight the issues affecting immigrants. So we decided, myself and Abel, my former colleague, we decided to, you know, do multicultural newspaper that will highlight the issues affecting immigrants, as well as provide information about immigrants and their countries to the Irish people. So that's basically the reason behind Metro Erin. You are saying that uh, the year 2000, when the paper started, media didn't really respond to the needs of the migrant community. Do you think the situation has improved? The situation has um, a little bit improved, though they are still mainly interested in you know, negative issues about immigrants. Today, you can see a number of newspapers covering the issue of uh, migration and their integration. For instance, the Irish Times has a column titled uh, New Today Parish or, or something like that, that we are, you know, regularly they highlight issues affecting immigrants. That's just an example. And uh, various other newspapers and radio stations, you know, do highlight the issue of uh, migration but it's not you know they don't give it the the honor the respect it you know it deserves uh, in the sense that um more than 17 percent of um the population of ireland are non-irish but then the content the media content both you know on radio on television and in newspapers the media content is less than point five percent which is still you know very very far from the population of uh, immigrants and minorities in the country and then when it comes to you know staffing and management is basically zero uh, for instance uh, the national broadcaster rte 
I think they employ about two, you know, immigrants, one Polish and one Nigerian. Uh, it's possible they have other people working with them. But in terms of, you know, uh, being prominent, they are the two I have recently noticed. So, you know, the things have slightly changed, but it's not, it's not really, a, a, you know, a great change. And it's not a huge success. Uh, there is a lot to be done in order to, you know, bring inclusive, you know, uh, media in, in, in Ireland. So how do you have talked about both issues uh, from the content point of view and a staffing point of view? So how important do you have, do you believe is uh, to have diversity in media and why is so important? Well, to start with, if you look at it from the angle of, um, you know, people living in Ireland, if you look at uh, RTE and national broadcast I mentioned earlier on, I pay my tax, other immigrants pay their taxes, uh, they pay, you know, everything, including license levy. So why are they not entitled to get, you know, something, to, to at least see something about themselves and their culture on television and hear it on radio? You know, there is that sense of entitlement because they are taxpayers. That is one. Secondly, we are living in a modern Ireland. It's a multicultural society. And as such, if, you know, progress on all levels, if progress is to be made in Ireland, I think media should reflect the diverse nature of this country at the moment. And how important do you think that is that uh, uh, migrant-led media, like is the case of uh, Metro Iran, is still there? How important do you think is this uh, migrant-produced, uh, migrant, uh, in some way, fully, uh, uh, in some ways, migrants taking fully respon uh, their full responsibility for, for the media they are producing is? Yes, um, it is very important in the sense that uh, such migrant-led media organizations could provide leadership, could show leadership, could show, you know, existing media organizations how they could cover, you know, such issues. But the problem is that um, many migrant-led organization, media organizations have closed down because there is no support. A lot of them... You know, nobody cares, you know, if there is advertisement from the government, in many cases, about immigrants. That advertisement does not go to the immigrant media organizations. You see the national media organizations getting the, the you know, advertisement. That, the same thing goes to a lot of shops, uh, you know, businesses. They have not really found the need or seen the need to support immigrant media organizations that are in a position to, you know, bring change as well as uh, help them, you know, get more customers. So which one, uh, from your point of view, will be the uh, main actions that either uh, the institutions, I suppose the institutions should take to ensure there is more diversity in the media? How do you, th or, and also to support uh, uh, minority media? Uh, to start with, there is need for, you know, proactive action. Um, first of all, the law needs to change. 
the national broadcaster RTE as an example, the government needs to say that, look, you need to provide content, okay, for multicultural Ireland. You can't have 17% of the population or more, you know, who are in this country, you are giving them absolutely nothing. That is not right. But then, you know, in terms of changing the law, the broadcasting, uh, broadcasting authority of Ireland, I think they have a lot to do. I actually blame them for the lack of progress being made in terms of, uh, you know, multicultural media in this country. Because, you know, they have the power to direct all broadcasters to give certain percentage, okay, of content to the immigrant, to immigrant issues. But they're not doing that. So that is the first thing that needs to be done. Then, in relation to migrant media organizations, they need to be supported. Obviously, the government would see some of them, you know, especially those that are pure business, privately owned. They see them as a commercial. But they are not commercial in the real sense of commercial. Because it's not a level playing field between them and the Irish media organizations. What is the problem? Okay, supporting them so that they can reach out to their community and help to change mindset of immigrants who are in this country. If they could get support, I strongly believe that it would be a win-win situation, you know, for uh, both the government as well as uh, migrant-led uh, media organizations, especially in promoting cross-cultural understanding and cooperation. Apart from the, you know, government supporting migrant media organizations, I strongly believe that um, the mindset of businesses, the attitude of business owners need to change. Many of them do not see the need to advertise in media, uh, migrant media-led organizations or migrant media organizations. I, I think that uh, attitude also needs to change. But the most important thing is financial support, funding support, either by way of advertisement or by way of, you know, grant aiding them, you know, in return for space or content that would prove, promote, you know, cross-cultural understanding and cooperation in Ireland. That's great. Thank you very much, Inadu. Uh, my name is Eli Kisiombe, and um, I came from Malawi. I moved over here um, um, eight years ago, and why I moved over here is I was freeing a situation back home, so I came over to seek asylum. So that's how I found myself in Ireland, and that's who I am. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell us a little bit about our table. Mm -hmm. What is our table? Uh, so when I came here to seek asylum, I found myself in a situation called direct provision. Direct provision is a system which... Uh, Asylum seekers are pressed when they have arrived in this country to seek uh, uh, their refugee. So they are put in a system called direct provision. So direct provision is a system which caters and takes care of the welfare of asylum seekers while their cases are being processed. So that's the situation I found myself. So then I found myself that I was in a situation, when you are in, in that situation, there is a lot of things which are not be done like on a normal level. 
uh, there is no family life. You're not allowed to cook. You're not allowed to go to school. You only get 19, 10 euro a, a week, and kids get 9 euro 60 a week. And basically, you are just living in a situation whereby you just sleep, wake up, and eat. And you eat food that is provided by you, which you don't even have a choice over it, or even you have a say over it. Whatever it is there, it's what you have to eat. And there are times where you have to eat these meals. And not only that, when you're living in this system, you have like times where you get in, the, in every center where you are. Uh, I forgot to say one thing that... Uh, the way this direct provision is set up, it's set up out of like old hotels, which when stopped functioned, functioning, and many of them they are pressed outside communities, and uh, they are run by private business people, which are getting a lot of money. So. These are the people who operate direct provision, and these are the people who make decisions out of every asylum seeker who lives in there. So that's what, that's what gives me a, uh, an ego to get involved in our table. So uh, after staying in this uh, uh, system for a very long time, then it became really hard that I was clinically diagnosed with depression, and through that, um, I needed to find ways of coping because at that time I had left my kids back home, my family back home, and the situation which I'd escaped from was still going on. So it was really hard for me. So I had to make sure that I live for my family. Then, um, as myself, I'm a human rights activist and I'm also a campaigner and I'm coming from a political uh, background. So I could relate myself that, okay, I'm strong in another way that I can use my voice to rise up and do something about the system which I've also found myself. So I become, I, I now I become an activist and a campaigner to end direct provision. So through that, I was moved in a lot of centers and through that, I was able to work with my fellow asylum seekers in a different ways that could help us to get through day by day. And through that, I did a bit of work like setting up gardens around these centers and also like try to, there were centers where I live where there were like refugees or asylum seekers from countries like Eritrea, Sudan, and uh, Somalia, which their English was a bit low than, uh, they didn't have any English at all. So I used to, and by that time when we were coming, we didn't even have like see even a lot of like agencies which helped asylum seekers. So what did I need to do? So I needed to find something to, to do to help my federal citizens. So anyway, I started getting information how they can go for their English classes and things like that. And I started doing a lot of, getting involved in doing a lot of uh, stuff. So through that, around 2011, 2012, I used to go out to Irish Refugee Council and help out and things like that. And I used also to bring like ideas to, uh, at that time, the CEO then was Sue Conlan, which is like to say to her, like, you know, we can do this and we can do that. And she was up for it. So she asked me, like, she just asked me, Ellie, do you want to take a volunteer post, like, with us? So you can be a campaign officer and highlight the issues around direct provision. I was like, yeah, bingo. That would be <laughs> good for me. So that's how our table 
was born through that. So through that, I started highlighting direct provision. I was in a lot of episodes talking about direct provision. I started visiting colleges, universities, schools, educating about direct provisions, public speaking. And while we do that, there was also something I was doing whereby we were bringing women and do like a bit of cooking, home cooking. But at that time, Irish FG Council didn't have a lot of money to do that. And we also didn't have a lot of resources. So in 2015, I was really lucky that my supervisor at that time, my boss, who is a CEO, Sukol, and she was approached by an Irish business lady, and then her and my supervisor, Caroline Reed, they sit down with her and she was like, oh, I've just heard that asylum seekers cannot be allowed to work, cannot even allowed to uh, cook, and you know, as a businesswoman, there's something I want to do. So they said, us, not us, but there is someone. I think we, you really need to sit down with her and you need to talk. So anyway, they link me up with her and we sit down and we talk. And then ideas were born there. Like, oh, why can't we do this? You know, we cook and why can't we go out and start cooking? So anyway, I'm an asylum seeker who my life is very hard as it is. She's an Irish privileged woman who, you know, she knows people like in, in industry. So we started like just going out in a community center like the way here you are. You have a community center and I'll bring in like women from direct provision. I'm a good cook myself. I'm coming from a family where we've also been involved in food catering business. So with all those ideas just branded really well to this idea. So I could take women and we go like in a community center, we cook food and we invite four or five people, 10 people, and people started loving the food. Uh, this is great, the idea is great. And we did like a um, few cook-up events. And then later we were like, why can't we, people were like, why can't you do something a bit more than this? So it's when we started first came up with not the big pop-up you saw in September to December 2016, but before then we had started like one day pop-up, two days pop-up. So we, we first come up with a two days pop-up cafe, uh, I mean pop-up food event in Project Art, and it was really huge. We were received well by the public and we fed over 700 people. We were having like 100 to 300 people on a day and it was fantastic. So that's where our table started. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what is doing our table now? How is it doing? Yeah, so from there, we started from a two-day pop-up to now everywhere. And we were invited in, in many areas, like universities, going cut the food, and IMA, the... Uh, the the Army Hospital in, in IMA, and we did their food demonstration. And from there, in 2016, in September, then we set up a three-month pop-up cafe, which it went really well, very successful. So out of that, I, many of the people, because we employed people who are refugees, refugees are allowed to get employment after they got their papers, but asylum seekers are not allowed to get employment. So what did we do? We employed refugees and we led asylum seekers to volunteer and also to get a bit of training. So people were getting training that after getting their papers, they could be able to go ahead and look employment somewhere. And refugees were able to get employment that they did get a wedge out of that. We were volunteered by many people like from like Germany nationals who lived in Ireland, uh, Italian nationals who live in Ireland, Irish people themselves, and refugees and asylum seekers from different parts of the world. So uh, after that, I myself, I went to Balimalu where I spent almost five months with Darina Allen. I was invited by Darina Allen. And when I was going there, the idea was I was going for internship for like three months. 
So when I got there and I, I, I got, I just got really lucky. Then one morning, Darina, she just woke up and said, you know what? I'm not giving you internship at all. I'm going to give you training, the full training. So I, she trained me. So after that, I got lady training, and after that, I got internship. Then I got back to Dublin. So when I got back to Dublin, at that time, we had closed the first pop-up, and we didn't have enough money like to go ahead. But then the training which I got from Balimalu, and all the knowledge and the energy now, it just busted into me that I think that's what has kept the project going. So where we are at the moment, we are still in a very big mud catering industry. We don't have a permanent space as we are looking forward to, but I hope we are going to get it very soon. Uh, but now we are very much involved in uh, outside catering, where I'm catering events with women from direct provision. I'm still carrying them with our <laughs> briefcase business. And we go and we can be invited, like maybe here you're having an event and you want us to come and cater for you. So that's what, uh, that's what, that's what I'm doing. And also like the campaign is still uh, going on really strongly. And um, uh, maybe you've just heard that also the Supreme Court like a few months ago ruled that it's, very, it's an constitution to not let asylum seekers to go to work. So these are like many positive things which has also come through with our table. Mm-hmm. So that's where we are. Yeah, but what's actually what was the reception of uh, media, uh, for example, to mm-hmm. to our table? Uh, media has played a very big role in our table project because when we first started, I think we were in every news outlet, and the message really managed to get out there, and I think we really managed to get a positive vibe. You know, it was different. I've done everything. I've done public talks. I've, I've been, I've stand on the street, but I've never seen the power that food has done to this campaign. Because even I, to myself as a human being, it has connected me to many levels that I never even thought that I'll be in those levels. So it has brought this. You know, food is so powerful. Food can connect people in very different way. That. You and I, we can speak different language, not even understand each other at all, but food can create, can, can, can break those boundaries, can break those barriers. So that's what our table has done. Food has played a big role. And people, instead of like coming out, listen to my story and start crying, people, they've come out and be excited and want to know more about our direct provision and wants to end it. Like, no, this is ridiculous. We have to really end the system. Like, look. This food is being made by women from direct provision. This is made by people who are being locked. Why are we keeping them in this system? You know, so that's what our table has done. <laughs> it's really positive. <laughs> so what is the plan for now on? Okay, the plan for now on is... But, uh, uh, can I ask you, what, what's your current status? Are you still asylum, an asylum <laughs> seeker? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, unfortunately yeah. I am still. <laughs> I am yeah. still in a, in, in a situation. I, I don't look at it like nowadays as really, really something that it... It bothers me. There's a lot of things I miss. There's a lot of things. It's very frustrating. Very frustrating if I want to keep it that way. But then I'm someone who I always translate every situation, counted the positivity which has come through with it. And for me, in my situation, I think it has come with a lot of positivity. So that's what I focus. So I'm still in direct provision. I'm not really sure when the past is going to 
happen but i hope it's gonna happen so soon but that is not like stopping me to deprive myself of who really i am because i think the greatest thing is i have me i have myself that's what has not been taken away by direct provision so as long as it's hard sometimes sometimes i can go like insane but at least i come back to myself and realize that i'm still here and i can still do these things while i still while i'm still living because 8 years it's a, it's a very long time that if i'm not careful i know other people who they've not managed to cope strongly like what i've done no one is ever never going to give you back that 8 years it's gone and it's gone for good so how am i going one day to wake up and reflect what that ideas has done to me then i have to look at the positivity what also despite that the government sucks but what island and the people they've done to me so island and the people they've done to me so great that they've given me a lot of treasure that i have to treasure it and doing what we are doing now so where our table is now is i am still like dreaming to open up a cafe even if it was like last week and there is a lot of positive outcome from private irish people not even like institutions i have to be honest with you the people who are supportive who have been supportive and supported me like like in a way that i can't put it in words are people are private people are people who they just generous people and sees what it is and want to do something and that's the people who are supported have supported me a lot so i have a lot of prospects i have a lot of uh um good things that are coming next year um i've been approached by uh, a big irish businessman who is very happy to sit down with me and hear all of my plans that god willing who knows miracle can happen that will be the start of the um of the uh the restaurant the cafe and uh, not only that um we are in the process now of registering into the way of coming up a charity so yeah so things are going great mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and finally the final final question now and <laughs> um, one of the obviously in so ways you said you were a human rights activist yes. and you were involved in politics yeah. back yeah. in Malawi yeah. yeah and in so way that's reflecting also to uh, the work you are doing in Ireland i suppose exactly. our table offered you a platform from yeah. that brought you to the exactly. kind of public sphere. You are doing a lot of talks yes. and yeah to raise awareness. Yeah. So my question now is mm-hmm. how do you think the system needs to change in Ireland actually? What would you propose instead of direct provision? Yeah. There is a lot of ways that the system can change. Like what I am doing now it's a solution to this problem we have because the problem is people are not allowed to go out and get employment and then they can be independent and look after themselves. The system can change in many ways. Like my platform it's another solution of changing the situation because if a lot of people can come out and get jobs and being able to be independent and an income they won't even want to live in direct provision no one would not want an irish man can an irish man or woman cannot go and live in direct provision even for a single 16 hours they will faint they will collapse you know they will actually go into a total depression So anyone doesn't want to live that but people are living in a means whereby they are forced to live in this institution I've heard that the minister Charlie Flanagan has said that people have not yet come to him to tell him how he can change the system but these are the solutions not a reform but these are the solutions if we can work like the way our table is working and there are other issues other people they can also tackle another corner I'm telling you 
two, three years from now, we won't be talking of direct provision. We'll be talking of a system which was abolished mm-hmm. and which asylum seekers took the platform themselves to bring these changes. So, Okay. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's it for this edition of Respect Words, Near FM's 20-part series in the topic of hate speech. Please do tune in again for the next programme in the series. Until then, this is Liam Nolan saying goodbye and thank you for listening. Respect. Sevome. Respeto. Spostuimo. Respect Words. Ithiki dimosiografia για την αντιμετώπιση της ρητορικής του μίσους. Etichno novinarstvo proti sovražnemu govoru. Il potere delle parole. Respekt vor Worten, Respekt vor Menschen gegen Hassreden. A tisztelet hangján szólunk. Riportok, interjúk, tudósítások a gyűlöletbeszéd ellen. Mi becsüljük a másikat. Respekt. La onda local de Andalucía contra los discursos de odio. Más or oko? Erisorok de etikul, ikuena kainta fuha. Ethical journalism against hate speech. Respect words. Respect words. Respect words. Respect words. Supported by the Rights, Equality and Citizenship Programme of the European Union.